The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, score! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Doesn't seem like very long ago that had the opportunity to talk to you all earlier tonight. Mark, as we head down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, as tonight we're going to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Mark, we started our high school baseball broadcast schedule earlier this afternoon. Had a pretty good ball game, a 7-6 Chippewa victory over Waynedale. But I'll tell you one thing, with the weather the way it was earlier today and into tonight, just sitting back and watching the game of baseball under great weather, especially high school baseball, boy, you can't see any more pure game of baseball than you can when you're watching the high school level. Yeah, I remember high school ball very, very fondly. You know, it was it was all fun. <clears throat> it wasn't a lot of pressure. And uh, I've had an occasion in the last couple of years, to, because of our, our film, uh, to go to some tryouts <clears throat> with some of these young kids. And I have to say I was disappointed because what's happening with some of these leagues is they take it so seriously. The kids are playing 75, 80 games a year, travel teams, all this. And it really has, I think, put kids under too much pressure too soon. And I talked to a number of coaches last year who agreed with me. And even the baseball coaches themselves are telling kids to play other sports, play football, play baseball, play basketball, run track. Uh, you'll have plenty of time for baseball. But it's there's so much money involved. And you talk about stage mothers. Well, believe me, there are there are baseball mothers and fathers, too. And I think you're making a mistake taking these kids when they're, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old and just cramming baseball down their throats throughout the summer. And the kids are playing six months. It's it, it, it loses what you just described. And I think that's unfortunate. Well, you know, when you get to the Division Three and Division Four level, which are the games that we're doing, uh, you've got kids that have to play the other sports in order for the school just to, to field other sports, Mark. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Matter of fact, I, I happen to like the way the state of Iowa uh, does their baseball season for high school. They actually start it in the month of May, and it goes through the month of July, and if you're an incoming freshman, you're a freshman. If you're an outgoing senior, you don't play that year. That's actually the beginning of their athletic schedule in the state of Iowa is the baseball season. And then they go into football. And that way they, they can get past the bad weather and it interferes with the travel teams and everything. But I think that's one of the reasons that they do it. Yeah, I was upping last year. Um, and some of these even young kids... 10, 11, 12 years old are playing uh, this elite baseball. And, uh, I mean, it, it, the kids don't even look like they're having fun to me. That, that's what was sad, that they it was, it was like a job. 
they, had, they were playing three or four or five, five times a week. Double headers on Saturday and Sunday, it, it just, uh, I, I think it's a big mistake. And I, I, I hope that the, the, the parents understand what they're taking away from the kids in terms of opportunity. And even <clears throat> if kids do play that much, such a small percentage make it even to Division One baseball that it's 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 taking away a lot of fun of the game that you and I used to play. And uh, I remember playing every day of my life with no league, no umpire, just guys getting together and playing ball. And that's that's mm-hmm. the fun part. That is fun. Even if you could play softball, you could play wiffle ball, you could do all of that. You know, it, it was just at – but anymore, kids don't do it. But I guess the the older we get, Mark, the more things change. I guess. <laughs> well, <coughs> things changed this week for the Reds. They had the same record as last week, only flip-flopped. Last week they were 5-1 and one in the opening week, and this week they were 1-5. and five, So they're 6-6 uh, six and six entering tonight's game with Colorado. But, Mark, I'll tell you what, I don't think the Reds are playing all that bad of baseball. No, I, as, uh, leading up to the season, offensively the Reds are a solid team. They're going to they're gonna score probably middle of the road or maybe above in terms of team batting average and, and home runs and offensive statistics. Uh, the, the, what has been killing the Reds in this one and five swoon is their bullpen, and we said that at the beginning of the year. But uh, a lot of the guys are getting healthy, and I think as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I guess two weeks ago. Uh, that if the Reds can play 500 ball into May and they get their good pitching back, which they have some, uh, then they have a chance. And uh, the chance the Reds have this year is to play 500. I, I don't, I don't see how in that division they can play above that. But for a team under such tremendous change, 500 I think would be a successful season. Well, the Indians, on the other hand, they're five and five as they got tonight off. They were three and three on the week. And Mark, I want to get into some of the things that the Indians have done over the last week that I'm a little concerned about. A couple of things that really have kind of hit me between the eyes about this ball club. Not that I want to change my opinion of just how good they will be this year, but I think they need to make a couple of abrupt changes if they're going to continue to uh, contend in the tough American League Central. But this Indians team, as they went into the game with New York, Mark, I said last week I thought it was the battle of the two best pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. And after the three-game series with the Mets and the Indians over the weekend, between, <laughs> uh, I can say right now, if those are the two best pitching staffs in baseball, baseball's got a problem with their pitching. <laughs> well, it's early. Yeah, it is. And I, I, you know the Indians pitching staff better than I do, but I, I think from an overall talent perspective, I, I maintain that the Mets are the best team, best pitching staff in baseball. But you can't judge anything after two weeks of the season, and uh, we've been around long enough to know that so many things can happen. And what you know, the, the, the general consensus of, of all baseball is you play 500 until you get hot. And you win 10 out of 12 games, and all of a sudden you're eight games over 500, and now you got a chance. I mean, that's really what baseball is. There's so much parity in Major League Baseball that if you can stay in that 500 area, you have a chance for a short run. 
you know, you win 15 or 16 out of 20 games, and all of a sudden you're you're a contender. <clears throat> so what you don't want to do is get buried in April. You know, get eight or nine games behind and and have a eight and 15 record or something like that, and it's really tough to come back. So uh, hopefully the Reds the Reds are six and six, ending in five and five. Uh, if they can keep their balance here for the next couple of weeks, uh, things will shake out and, and the good teams will rise to the top. Mark, the Reds lost two out of three in St. Louis over the weekend, and an interesting stat reared its ugly head about what the Reds over the last several years have done in St. Louis. Now, this is in St. Louis only. <coughs> in the last 37 series that the Reds have played in St. Louis, and that encompasses, of course, several years, the Reds have won only four of those series. That's an amazing stat to me. It is, and it, it reflects and that's during a time when the Reds were pretty good, and they would still have their problems in St. Louis even when they were winning divisions or you know get, making the playoffs. So the Reds could have won that game yesterday, they, they, but they do that all the time. They get... They'll typically win one game in St. Louis, and then they struggle the next two. So, <clears throat> you know, it's an ebb and flow thing. If you remember a couple of years ago, I think the Reds won, I think it was some ridiculous 15 out of 17 against the Cubs for two years in a row. Uh, they just killed the Cubs. Uh, now the Reds are getting killed by the Cubs. So <clears throat> that's the way baseball is. You, you have, it used to be a, a term called, it's your cousin. That you just beat the snot out of your cousin, but that that has a tendency to change in baseball. And uh, you know, three or four years from now, the Reds may have turned this around, and they'll be uh, on top of the Cardinals. Mark, this is just the third Monday of the baseball season, but I'm going to ask you this: the first two weeks of the year, what's the thing that has surprised you the most about the Reds? Uh, I can't say anything that surprised me. If you'd have told me they'd be six and six after. After two weeks, I said, well, yeah, it's about right. Uh, in fact, maybe they've even outperformed winning five of the first six. Uh, that was a surprise, although three of those games were against the Phillies. Uh, but, you know, I would say the Reds are about where they are. Um, the, the hitting has been good as I thought it would be. Defense has been good. Uh, bullpen has been bad. And that's, uh, that wasn't, doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. Looking at the statistics of this team going into even in spring, going into spring training, not out of spring training, <clears throat> that the Reds just didn't have a bullpen that was going to be able to stem the tide. And J.J. Uh, Hoover, if they make him the start, the closer this year, this team will lose 105 games. Well, the thing that has, I, I guess, uh, not surprised me because I know Terry Francona's penchant for wanting to play with his lineup. But what has surprised me is that every time Corey Kluber pitches, Mark, it seems like Terry Francona wants to put the worst defensive outfield that he possibly can behind this guy. For example, against the White Sox a week ago, when Kluber pitched against the White Sox in Chicago, he played Jose Ramirez in left, Rajay Davis in center, and Colin Cowgill in right. Now, none of those guys are very good outfielders. And I'll tell you one thing. If they're going to continue to play Rajay Davis in center field, God help this pitching staff. 
because he is an absolute terrible center fielder. And Ramirez, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep his bat in the lineup. They're trying to make him a Mike Avillis. And they're trying to, to play him in every position. But my gosh, Mark, this guy is no outfielder. And in that game against the White Sox, Ramirez butchered a play in a one nothing game that ended up in the seventh inning. He misplayed a, a, a play in the outfield that should have been a, a routine fly ball, and he played it into a triple. And then the very next guy got a base hit to tie things up at one apiece, and the Indians ended up losing the ball game in the latter innings. Now then, yesterday, they played Ramirez in left, Davis in center, and Bird in right. Now, Bird is not that bad an outfielder, but to be honest, Mark, he's a left fielder. He's not a right fielder. You watched him play with the Reds last year. He, he, he used to be a good outfielder. He's lost a couple of steps. Yesterday, Mark, Rajay Davis lost two fly balls in the outfield, routine fly balls, medium center field, that dropped 10 feet to his left. One went for a double. The other one went for a triple. And then Marlon Byrd misplayed one also. And the Indians outfield was just butchering. And, and Mark, it leads me to something that I've got to say about official scoring, too. The Indians lost the game 6 nothing. Kluber ended up giving up four runs in the third inning when the outfield just butchered plays. I disagree with the fact that the official scorer cannot call an error against an outfielder for misplaying a fly ball when the outfielder doesn't touch it with his glove. Because all that does is balloon Kluber's earned run average. And to be honest, Mark, that wasn't his fault yesterday. He had three routine fly balls during that inning that the outfielders completely misplayed, and it dropped off to the side. And those are base hits because... In Major League Baseball rules, you're not allowed to call an error if the, the outfielder doesn't get his glove on the ball. I think something's got to be changed about that. Those were definite outfield errors. Yeah, I've never understood that. I mean, you could misplay a ball. You can come in, misplay it, it goes over your head, and it's a, a double, which should have been an out. Uh, I've never understood that in terms of, of an error. Uh, but there's so much subjectivity to the, to the scoring in baseball that uh, it goes back to that tradition that has been around for a long time. And the problem is, if you make <clears throat> changes to things that have been around like that, that, that kind of scoring decision, you really change the statistics of baseball. And you go back, you're going back well over 100 years now, where these statistics have been around for a long time based on those current rules. So if you change those things, uh, it does change, the imp- it has a huge impact on statistics at the end of the year. Oh, I agree with you. I, I think you're absolutely right, and it changes the t- the statistics all time in baseball. But I just wonder how that ever became uh, a so-called unwritten, one of the unwritten rules of baseball, where the official scorer cannot call it an error, because that's just an obvious error on the outfielder's part. I'd rather have the outfielder have an error than the pitcher have his ERA ballooned. But, you know, the funny stat, Mark, not funny it's especially to Corey Kluber but since he won the Cy Young Award two years ago here's another interesting stat Corey Kluber has gone 9 and 19 in the last year and now the first three weeks of this season since his Cy Young Award winning year 
of 2014. And it's not his fault. His ERA is still around three and a half. Well, it won't be after tomorrow, after yesterday's debacle, but his ERA is around three and a half. The Indians just don't score and don't play defense behind this guy. Well, I think there's a lot of teams in baseball will take Kluber. <laughs> I don't think everybody knows that his, his stats, the stats behind the stats are what make him so good. But you know, a guy who is just dominating right now. As much as Kluber was in 14 is, is Arietta from the Cubs. I saw him throw the other day and man, he, he looks, he looks really tough. Uh, a big burly right hander and he's got life on the ball. He can pinpoint his fastball. His slider breaks your knees. And, uh, that guy, the other thing I saw him do, he hit pitcher. Mark, somehow uh, you've lost your internet connection. Something uh, we we've lost connections with Mark right now, as far as uh, Jake Arrieta. But I, I do agree with you, Mark. If if you're back, uh, Jake Arrieta has done just an outstanding job over the last couple of years with the uh, <clears throat> Chicago Cubs. And and the one thing about him now, I know you're back now, Mark, because I heard you clear your throat. The the thing about him, Mark, is he is not the youngest guy in in baseball. He has been around the Major League Baseball scene now for a few years, but the problem, you know, the thing about it is, it seems like he's just learned how to pitch. And that happens. And, you know, the, the thing that is frightening about pitchers, I don't know what his contract was when he, he signed. I think he just they redid his contract. But it's the Homer Bailey syndrome. You know, Homer Bailey was a 500 pitcher, and he signed a $100 million contract over seven years. And what happens the first year? Arm surgery. That's what's so frightening about pitchers, and it, it's the thing that can just absolutely kill a, a franchise. You sign a couple of these guys for these kind of contracts, they get hurt, and you're out of luck. And Arietta is 30. He's 30 years old. But he's been around Major League Baseball since he was 22. He's been in the majors since he was 24. But it's just over the last year and a half, Mark, that he has really took off. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. And uh, the Cubs, I, I still am not convinced the Cubs are the team this year. I think they may be a year away. Uh, but they there's some holes in the lineup because of youth. Uh, but I think the team's going to be competitive all year. But if they do win it, it's going to be their pitching. And, uh, you know, they get Lester and they get Arietta and they've got a solid bullpen. And they, they got some guys who can uh, keep you in the ballgame. That's, that's the key. <clears throat> Mark, you brought up Homer Bailey. What is the status? I know in watching the game tonight, uh, Brenneman and Chris Welch talked a little bit about uh, what his situation is. And I understand he'll be going down to Louisville and throwing at least three starts at the minor league level before the Reds even consider bringing him up. Yeah, everything is going as predicted and as scheduled. And he threw today, threw well, threw hard, good breaking ball, had, had good command. But you, you don't know until you get on the mound, and I'm glad they're going to be doing this. But even with three starts in, in, in double or triple A, uh, he's still going to be up probably sometime in mid-May. And he will have gotten some innings in, uh, and I think he'll be ready to go. 
So, you know, Straley pitched well tonight, even though the Reds are now behind 2-1, to one, at least 2-1, to one, last time I looked. Uh, Straley pitched well. Uh, they're, they're getting their pitching staff healthy. And if they can hold on until the beginning of May, mid-May, be close to 500, they're going to get a lot of good arms back, which is going to force the Reds' hand. They're going to have to get rid of some of these guys that are on the roster now. Uh, Tim Melville, I think, is a guy that's going to go down. He got hammered yesterday, and he's just, to me, he doesn't have major league stuff. But the Reds are in a tight spot. Straley pitched well tonight, uh, and he could be a real find, that guy, because when he was with, I think he came up with Oakland, if if I recall, Uh, and he has a great arm. So he, he can be very helpful to the Reds this year, and let's just keep our fingers crossed that they can stay with him 500 uh, up until May. Mark, a couple of things. You're talking about injuries. Well, the injuries have hit, hit the Indians also. Their left fielder, Michael Brantley and Lonnie Chisenhall, they are playing again tonight for A Akron on their rehab assignment. Now, the chances of Brantley being back this week are probably slim. Chisenhall will probably be back. Matter of fact, he may even be back in the lineup for the Indians tomorrow night. So that'll solidify at least the right field position. But, Mark, I've got to tell you, I don't know what they're going to do when Brantley comes back. Because my initial reaction would be that Brantley would be the center fielder and they would put Rajay Davis in left. But because Brantley's coming off of that shoulder surgery... I'm not sure they dare put him in center field. But, Mark, if they continue to play Rajay Davis in center field, it is a disaster with him out there. He just he can't cover ground, and he misjudges fly balls. He is a terrible defensive center fielder. Well, Dave, just remember, it doesn't make him a bad person. But, uh, well, it may not make him a bad person, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, he's going to be booed an awful lot in Cleveland if he continues to misplay fly balls. I did not see that game yesterday, but if, if the Sun, uh, wherever they played, was as bad as it was in Cincinnati, or in St. Louis yesterday, uh, there were some adventures on fly balls in St. Louis yesterday, I can tell you that. Uh, some pretty good outfielders are having a hard time picking the ball up. I don't know why. Uh, but maybe the sun was just straight above, straight overhead or, or what. I don't know. But it, it's hard. I, I remember playing in Arizona and the sun out there sometimes is so tough on fly balls, uh, because it's so bright and sometimes it's straight up over your head and looking up into that sun. So I don't know what the situation was yesterday you're talking about, but, uh, the Reds had two or three fly balls that they, guys caught them, but they struggled under the fly ball. Okay, my okay, like you just said, they caught him. Yeah, <laughs> Rajay Davis didn't, and it cost the Indians a ball game yesterday. Now, I, I understand a lot of other things happened. I get that, but if you don't have a center fielder, Mark, you, you've got to be strong up the middle. You got to be strong at catcher, shortstop, second base, and center field. If one of those four links is weak. You got a tough time being a winning ball club. I think you'd agree with that. I do, <clears throat> and you look at the. But again, I, I keep thinking about the comparison of the rosters between the Reds and the Indians, and 25-man roster. I take the Indians over the Reds right now. I just think they have more talent, and particularly on the pitching side. So uh, I, I feel your pain about performance, and sometimes it's even more frustrating when you have a team that's supposed to win and they underperform. So right now, I think it would be fair to say, even even though both teams are 500, 
there could be more disappointment on the Indian side just because everybody thinks they're going to be better. The rest playing 500, everybody's pretty pretty content with that. Well, another thing that concerns me about the Indians so far this year is the performance of Brian Shaw. Shaw has been their setup man in the eighth inning now for the last three years that Francona has been with the Indians. And this year, Mark, he has had three disastrous outings where he has only gotten one man out in each inning that he has pitched. Mark, he, the last three outings that he has had is just disastrous. His ERA is in double figures. He can't seem to throw the, the backup changeup that he's always had over the outside corner, and he has no control over his pitches. I'm concerned about that, Mark, because without Shaw, they've had to go to Kluber a couple, or not Kluber, excuse me, Cody Allen a couple of times, their closer, for four or five out saves, and you know, even though I think these guys are babied a lot with their arm, the way that they throw people anymore, you're not going to be able to throw a five, four or five out save every time out. No, but it's funny. Again, you hearken back to what used to be, and that was the norm. If you were a reliever, you came in and pitched two or three innings. It was, you know, everybody did it. Right. And I don't know why, if it's if it's training. Or is it a strategic determination that you don't want one guy doing that? But I remember the Reds with, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, they had guys who would go two, three innings all the time. Uh, it was no big deal. Nobody even talked about it. And then the specialization came in, which really started with guys like Bruce Souter, who came in and, and Lee Smith and those guys, they became one inning specialists. Goose Gossage, uh, they threw as hard as they could. 10 or 15 pitches and hope they got three outs. But that's not the way it was. And I, I don't know where this, they, they even have now, they're signing guys as their seventh inning specialist. Yes. And I don't know what the hell that's about. If you're a pitcher, you, you shouldn't be designated to an inning. You should be designated to how you best match up with the respective hitter. I mean, you're telling me that if a guy is designated for the seventh inning and he's a left-hander and you've got three right-handers coming out, coming up, but if he would wait till the eighth inning, he'd pitch against two or three left-handers? That, that makes no sense to me. So baseball, I think one of the biggest problems with baseball is they lean on some of these old-time rules too long, and it just doesn't make any sense. And that kind of... Uh, it, it's a mindset. I think one team does it, then everybody seems to want to do it. And that's why I like Billy Bean so much, because he, he thinks outside the box. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you, you know, Rose Chapman last year, he pitched more than one inning twice. He pitched to four batters twice. He got four outs twice. This, this is a guy who had the, great, <clears throat> the greatest arm Arguably one of the great arms in the history of baseball. And the Cincinnati Reds completely screwed up an opportunity of a lifetime to have a guy who could have been Steve Carlton. He could have been Sandy Koufax. He could have been one of the great left-handers, starting pitchers of all time. And they put him in the bullpen. And it just made no sense. Pardon me. And I don't understand why the Reds have not gotten more heat for that. 
Well, and you you know what's going to happen with him in New York when he comes back from the suspension. They're going to use him just like they did Mariano Rivera, and he may be pitching four, five, six out saves. Well, I, maybe not, though, because they've got two other guys who are doing a pretty good job in the eighth and ninth inning right now. Boy, do they ever. Yeah, I mean, that that is, that is a lockdown bullpen. You can get that, you know, you get the lead with the Yankees. If you're a Yankees and you have the lead going into the sixth inning, you have a real good chance to win the game. <laughs> that, yeah, Dellen Batances and Andrew Miller have struck out 27 of the 41 batters they faced this year after yesterday's game. Well, wait till Chapman gets there. I mean, who, who are you going to, where are you going to put Chapman? Are you gonna oh, he'll be in the closing role. I know, but how do you defend that with the numbers you just said? I agree. It's it's going to be, you know, you might as well not even tip, put your defense on the field. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the truth. They're going to be bored. Mark, uh, you know, we talk about some of the things that are concerning us with the Reds. There's a couple of things. It's a good good news, bad news scenario. Zach Cozart is really playing some good baseball right now and hitting the heck out of the baseball. I know when they first announced that he was going to be the leadoff man, you and I were both shocked, but he seems to have just taken to that role. Yeah, he doesn't walk a lot, and he doesn't steal your bases. But right now, after two weeks, he's hitting 450 or 460. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, the first two-week numbers I'm not impressed with. We'll see how it is going into June and July. But it, to me, the, the biggest change I see him in him, he's much more he's, he's much more quiet at the plate. He's not moving around a lot. And it seems to me, and he mentioned this last year, that all last year when he was hurt, he lifted weights. And he just looks stronger to me. His bat speed's much better, and he he really bulked up. And that may have been not a blessing in disguise, because you don't want to have that kind of knee injury. But offensively, he looks like a different hitter, and he looks like he's he's smacking the ball. He's hitting the ball hard. Even his outs are hard. So I, I think the, the weight... He, if you're a guy like Mozart, you put on even 10 or 15 pounds and it's all muscle. It's going to change a lot. You can wait longer on the pitch. Your hands are stronger. Your forearms are stronger. And he had a whole year just to work on his upper body, and it appeared to have, to have worked. Now, on the other hand, the bad news scenario is the start that Devin Mazzarocco has gotten off to. I, I, that surprises me because of the way he was hitting the ball in spring training. Well, he didn't have that many at-bats in spring training. He, he he had for a high average, but he did not play that often in spring training. And I was frankly surprised that they just started him out that way. I, I had a feeling he was going to have a a tough time of it. And But he's lunging at the ball, and he's not staying back, and that's a timing issue. And I don't think there's anything regarding his surgery that would impact his bat, per se, uh, that clearly would be something that would be impacted by his catching every day. So unless he's hurt, and we don't know about it, uh, I, I don't understand why they didn't give him a couple of weeks in uh, Louisville just to get his eye at the plate. Mark, a couple of trivia questions for you tonight. The first one, it just dawned on me, you know, you've asked me a couple of times if I could name off the Indians lineup in 95, 97, you know, the 75-76 Reds, I can name off the entire roster. Today it suddenly dawned on me, I do not remember who the center fielder was 
for the 1972 Cincinnati Reds. Do you remember who the center fielder was then? 72 was Bobby Tolan, wasn't it? Bobby Tolan. Yes, it was. And he was the center fielder in, in uh, 73, and then in 74 is when they moved Geronimo to center and they traded Tolan, correct? Well, Tolan got hurt, uh, and that's why they... Well, Tolan got hurt in the 71 season. Yeah, I know, but he never recovered, and, and that's they finally traded him. But, uh, yeah, Bobby Tolan, I think, was the center fielder that year. And there was another guy uh, that the Reds had on that team that it's amazing if they had kept him, uh, what he would have done, Hal McRae. Yeah, they traded him to to uh, Kansas City, and he was actually the Royals' full-time DH. Yeah, and he was uh, a great hitter. I mean, a great hitter for, for them. So, yeah, I think Bobby Tolan was, was a guy who, actually what he did, he tore his Achilles tendon. Yes. And that, for a center fielder, that's the kiss of death. But uh, Bobby Tolan came up and played with Kurt Flood in St. Louis, and that was a great outfield back in the late 60s. And the, the Reds traded for him, and uh, he had a great year in 1970, and then got hurt. I think in 71 he got hurt, or 72, but he, he got hurt. 71. And he never recovered. So, You know, there are two things that I remember about Bobby Tolan. The first one was, other than the injury, do you remember in the 72 World Series when he pulled his hamstring and they took him into the dugout and everybody huddled around him so they could pull his pants down and tape up his hamstring? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. That, that was that was one. And then they tried the pickoff play at second base with Tolan coming in from center field to cover the bag at second, and Clay Carroll threw the ball into center field. I remember that, too. Right by Bobby Tolan into center field. What was, uh, talk about trivia, that 1972 World Series, what was the unique aspect of that seven-game series? The unique aspect? In, in what way? Well, something happened in that series that had never happened before, and I don't know if it's ever happened again. Gene Tennis hit his first, in his first two at-bats of the World Series had home runs. No, that was 1970. No, that was 72. That was Oakland. Gene Tennis. Oh, that's right. Baltimore was 70. You're right. I'm, you're, you're, I'm sorry. You're right. But against Oakland, each game against Oakland was decided by one run. That's right. You're right. Yes, it was. That was one of the closest World Series ever. Remember, the Reds were down 3-1 to one in Oakland, and Blue Moon Odom is at third base, and Burt Campanaris hits the little flare down the right field line that Joe Morgan catches it with his back to the infield. Blue Moon Odom, who was a pinch runner and a pitcher, tags at third and goes home, and Morgan threw a strike to bench at the plate. They got him out, and that ended the game, and the Reds went back to Cincinnati and ended up tying up the series and losing it in seven. Yeah, it was a great series, and, and two great teams, by the way. I mean, imagine, uh, you know, had the Reds won that series along with 75 and 76, they clearly would have been, and they, and they were anyway, you know, considered one of the great teams in the history of baseball, but that would have given them even more uh, gravitas because it would have won three out of, what, three out of five. Right. <clears throat> But here's here's the trivia question for tonight, Mark. Do you know who the winningest active pitcher is in baseball today? Hmm. This will fool you. The winningest active pitcher in baseball. Active pitcher. You mean um, he's he, career-wise, he's won more games than anybody else. Yes. 
just of all active players. Of all active players. Huh. Uh, and he has got a Cleveland Indian background. That's a big clue. I was going to say Bronson Royal until he got hurt last year. He, he had a he was one of the top pitchers over the last four or five years. Uh, I don't know. Bartolo Colon. Oh yeah. Two hundred nineteen career wins. That also has tied him for the most wins by a Dominican Republic pitcher with Pedro Martinez. Wow. Pedro Martinez, Mark. I mean, a Hall of Famer, Bartolo Colon, 42 years old, has won 219 games. And I tell you, Mark, I tell you, as I pound my fist on the table, I'm sick and tired of hearing that that trade that Mark Shapiro made, Bartolo Colon, for Sizemore, Brandon Phillips, and Cliff Lee, was the best trade that he ever made. Because those three guys... Two of them are out of baseball now. Brandon Phillips is struggling towards the finish line, and Bartolo Colon continues to win baseball games. Okay, Smarty, uh, who's the number one? Who's the number one uh, Dominican pitcher of all time? Juan Marichal. Yeah, that was too easy. <laughs> Mark, all right. I saw an article today that I thought was extremely interesting. It asked the question, and I've got an opinion on this, and I know you will. Bryce Harper's off to an outstanding start. Just a great, great start for the Washington Nationals. Is he the LeBron James of baseball? I think it's too early to say that. Uh, does Maybe the better question is, does he have more skills, like, you know, if you're saying on a skill level, you see LeBron James, he might be. Uh, he may be the most skilled hitter in baseball, most skilled potential in baseball, hitting-wise. But I think it's too early. Well, he's only his third year, and uh, I'm not sure he's he's demonstrated that yet. Uh, he can hit a ball a long way. In fact, it's funny you mentioned him. Uh, over the weekend, I was watching YouTube, and there's some pictures of him when he – he was in a home run hitting contest with professional players when he was 16, and he won. I mean, he, he was just launching balls. He, his bat speed—I've never seen anything like it. And now he's, you know, he's getting more and more muscular and, and stronger and stronger. Uh, this guy could—he could—he could pass Bonds for the most home runs in the history of baseball. But is he—is he there yet with LeBron? I don't think so. Well, I tend to agree with you. As a matter of fact, I've got to ask the question, is he as good as Mike Trout right now? I mean, you've got two ball players there that are right now the face of baseball, and and I seriously have some reservations as to whether Mike Trout has more talent than Bryce Harper or Bryce Harper has more talent than Mike Trout. I don't think it's that close. I, I think uh, Trout has much more Upside defensively, he's got a great arm, and so does Harper. But his outfield play, I, I, he may be the best outfielder in baseball, Mike Trout. And offensively, I might give the edge long-term to Bryce Harper. But, again, it's so early, and, and these pitchers are so good. Uh, if there's a weakness in his swing, they're going to find it. And the only thing, the difference between those two, I think, is, is between the ears right now. Bryce Harper's a kid. He's only, what, 22 years old? 
Uh, well, so is Trout. Uh, Trout just seems so much more mature to me. Uh, on interviews, uh, he just seems more mature. So, you know, Bryce Harper, I like Bryce Harper. I like his bluntness. I guess he's the Donald Trump of baseball, but uh, he says what he wants to say, and I, I admire that part of it. But, you know, you're, you're, comparing, <clears throat> you're comparing two great talents right now, and it's almost like back in, you know, back in the day when you compare Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Duke Snyder or whoever it was. It's a great time when you have great players like that are coming up and they have a chance to be around for a long, long time. And that's the exciting part. And there aren't too many of those guys out there that you can, that other ball players, the old, the old saying is other ball players would pay to see them play. And I think a lot of guys would go pay to see Bryce Harper and Mike Trout play baseball. Well, and and it also, Mark, it it raises the question. You know, I'm going to bring up two logos. First is the NBA logo, then the the Major League Baseball logo. The NBA logo, although nobody will readily admit it, they, they patented after Jerry West. The Major League Baseball logo, although they won't blatantly admit it, was made after Al Kaline of the Tigers. But when you look at Major League Baseball today, and I kind of hinted about this, who is the face of baseball right now? I guess it depends on your your perspective. What, what do you see, and maybe your age? I mean, I think the young kids might look at Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and say, yeah, those are my guys. Uh, you know, people older in their 40s, 50s, 60s, I'm sure they would pick other players. So it's the great thing about baseball is the longevity of the players. And that's what endears their And Mark, you're having internet trouble again as you, you've phased out. I, I don't know if you're back. There, there you're back. What, what were you saying? Well, you look at Bartolo Colon. He's been around for how many years? Uh, oh, at 22. Yeah, that, that that's the the beauty of baseball. Players have long, long careers. You can you get to know them. Uh, when we were growing up, I'm sorry if you can hear me or not. Yeah, you can hear. We can hear you now. Okay. Uh, when we were growing up, players like Mays and 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 Mantle and Musial, Ted Williams, they played for 20, 30 years, and you grew up with them. So I, I think your answer to your question, the face of baseball would be predicated on the demographic, who you ask. And, the, you know, you have some 15-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid who who worships Bryce Harper. Well, it's that, that young man who's 14 will be 34 maybe or 35, and Bryce Harper's still playing baseball. That's the, the cool thing about baseball is that you can play it for a long, long time. You know, Mark, I, I was talking with my father yesterday. My father's in his 80s, and, and he, he probably would be embarrassed if I told you that he was there. But, you know, he's watched baseball for an awfully long time. And his question to me yesterday was, and I thought it was a, it was a pretty interesting question, enough so that I wanted to bring it up to you tonight. What do you think Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Joe DiMaggio would do in today's game? I don't think they'd be very successful, I, and I know that's that's sacrilege. I just think if you are talking about their talent level compared to the talent level of the pitchers they would face today, I think they'd be overpowered. 
And if there was be an exception to that, it might be Ted Williams. But I, I think the other players would be overpowered. Uh, there's and, and you have relief specialists now. Uh, it would be awfully tough uh, t- for a DiMaggio, uh, for, for guys playing back in that era to compete. I, I just don't think it's a fair comparison, mainly because you have better workouts, you have better nutrition. Uh, guys start playing earlier. They have strength strength coaches. Uh, so that's why it's so difficult to compare eras, and you have to compare them based on how good they were at the time they played. Because you can't tra- – and, and the guys who played in the 50s and 60s were that much better than the guys who played back in the 20s and 30s. They were just much, much better. And so it, it, what I see now is a lot of these college players that are coming up, I mean, they are specimens. And they, they have been put through a baseball factory starting when they're eight years old. And they're coming into the game. They know how to play. So I don't think you would see, you know, a lot of these guys that we loved growing up. As much as I love to think that Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Stan Musial could hit like they did, I don't think they could. But there's there's no way. How, how do you know? You're comparing apples with oranges. That being said, and you bring up the health, the nutrition, and everything else, is Pablo Sandoval in this wrong era for himself? <laughs> Well, that's a good example of a guy who, yeah, I think he he could have flourished back in the 50s. There were a lot of guys who were that way. These guys all smoked. They they stayed out late at night. They caroused. They drank a lot. And they they didn't have good health. And and their bodies wore down. And today, the guys, they're, they're so much more, they're so much stronger, number one, but they're so much more aware of what it takes to succeed. People didn't lift weights back then. They never did. They, nobody lifted weights. And either you were blessed with uh, great bat speed, but don't forget the pitching is so different too. Uh, if you go back and look at YouTube from games back in the 50s, I was watching, I think it was a 50, 54 World Series with the Giants and the Indians, I think. Uh the pitchers, it didn't look like they were throwing, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour at, at the most. Certainly in the mid-80s. Take the balls out there, they weren't nearly as... And there's some exceptions. Guys, you threw harder than that. But today, you have you have kids out of college throwing 98, throwing, coming in and throwing gas, and they're hitting the corners. I mean, it, it's it's so much different now. So uh, who's who's to say what it's going to be 20 years from now? But I think you're going to see, like in basketball, the the thing that got me about basketball over the last 20, there are. No, I, I, and again, Mark, we, we've lost you. Um, now you're back. Okay. Now you're back, but you were talking about the bat speed. Yeah, the the bat speed, but look at other sports, Dave, if if you want to get a, I think a a, a more fair comparison of, of, Comparing eras, look at Bob Cousy and Bob Pettit and the guys who played in the NBA and, and were Hall of Fame players. These guys couldn't make a college team now. It's so different. The, the players are so much better, so much faster. You have guys six eight, six nine playing guard in the NBA, and there's no way a team from the 50s or 60s or even the 70s 
could compete against the players of the NBA today. So that is a more tangible way to measure the advancement of the athlete, but it, it, it applies to baseball as well. They're just that much better than the era that we grew up with. So back to Sandoval. You know, his trainer, the Red Sox trainer came out. By the way, the, the Red Sox have put Sandoval on the disabled list before any medical testing. He's got a problem in his left shoulder. But the Red Sox trainer has come out and said that the Red Sox need to hire a babysitter so Sandoval doesn't overeat. Mark, I, I've heard this said about other athletes before. Is Pablo Sandoval eating his way out of the game? Well, of course he is. Obviously he is. And, you know, the, the last babysitter episode was with Josh Hamilton. Uh, he was drugging himself out of baseball. I guess he's he's been, at least he's under treatment or he's been cured. I've not heard anything for a couple of years about him. But, you know, if somebody's stupid enough to give away a multi-million dollar contract because he'd rather have a steak sandwich, then he probably shouldn't be on your team. So I, I have no sympathy for these guys at all. Yeah, it, it's hard to believe. I mean, not only has he lost his third base job, but, you know, I, I've got to believe that the Red Sox were smart enough to put some sort of a clause in that contract against him ballooning up over 300 pounds. He looks more like a, a right guard, Mark, than he does a third baseman. Well, he wouldn't even make it in the NBA because he's too fat. That's not muscle. Uh, oh, I'm talking about an offensive lineman. I, mean, I, I meant, I'm sorry, I meant the NFL. Uh, he wouldn't. He, he's just a fat guy, and, and you know <laughs> there have been players. It's, yeah, it's really almost embarrassing to even see him swinging the bat anymore. Well, I don't know if you saw the the clip where he broke his belt swinging. Yes, <laughs> I mean that is very embarrassing. Oh, anyway, Mark, b before we sign off for tonight, we've got about ten minutes to go in tonight's show. Did you see the video? of the girls' fast-pitch high school softball player who managed to pull off a crazy behind-the-bat bunt. I she did. swung the bat behind her and then bunted it down the third baseline for a hit. Yeah, and I, I, I did see that, as a matter of fact. And if you look at it closely, I don't know why they just didn't call a strike on her because she swung and missed. And she did it on purpose, I know that. But she swung and missed and then pulled the bat behind her and bunted the ball down the third base line. But to me, that was a swing and miss. Well, it might have been a swing and a miss, but she still hit it. You can hit it on the back swing. I, I've never I, – maybe you're <laughs> right. I, I don't know that you can or can't. I, I don't know the rule on that. But to me, she completed her swing, and I don't know that you can hit it on the back swing. Of course, has it ever been done? I've seen guys hit the ball on a backswing before. It's always gone foul, and they call it a foul ball. I've never seen one put in play like she did. I, I agree with you. That was one of the first things that I thought was she swung and missed at the pitch, brought the ball, the, the bat around her back, and then bunted it. it. It was it's amazing to watch just to see the girl do it. Yeah, I, that the first thing to me it was a swing and a miss, but. I don't think the umpire had the guts to call it, but I certainly would have protested had I been the other the other manager. Didn't it look like she was double jointed in the left arm too? Yeah, I mean I, I don't know the advantage of that other than when they see you swing, maybe the third baseman quits charging. I don't know, uh, but 
it, it's an amazing feat. I, I mean, whether or not it was legal, because the, the video that I saw just showed her beating it out. They didn't show anything else, whether the umpire called her out or anything. But I'll tell you what, just to see it, you could probably go on YouTube and look it up, but just to see her do it, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, it is. And, and I, I don't know what offensive advantage that provides her. I mean, I don't think she's going to be successful if that's going to be her normal way of bunting very often, but uh, more power to her for trying. Well, it looks like, Mark, the Rockies have defeated the Reds tonight by a score of 5-1. to one. So the Reds' record now will dip to 6-7 and seven on the year. But, you know, like we said at the top of the top of the show, Mark, I'm really not disappointed in the Reds. I think they're going to do this all year long. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. They're a young team. They're inexperienced. At least their pitching is. And some nights their pitching is going to look great. Other nights their pitching is going to look not so great. Well, again, the bullpen did him in tonight. Uh, I didn't see what happened in the eighth inning. But uh, uh, this team has now lost, what, six out of seven games. So, uh, a lot will be determined by the end of this month. But the Reds really, I've said it all along, they're just not a good team. Uh, offensively, uh, you know, Billy Hamilton continues to be a, a huge disappointment offensively. I don't know how long they can continue to have him in the lineup. Uh, it's like having two pitchers in the lineup. And, and tonight he actually misplayed a ball in center field. I saw that. So he, he's just not playing good baseball, certainly not Major League Baseball. But, you know, the I don't know why Pete Rose would say such a thing, but I remember him being interviewed a couple of years ago talking about Billy Hamilton, and he said he wanted to see Billy Hamilton drive the ball. Like He, he said that this summer, uh, this, this spring on the Mo Egger show. Yeah, I know. And to me, Billy Hamilton's never going to be able to drive the ball. Uh, he's not strong enough to drive the ball. What he can do is learn to hit down on the ball and top the ball down. If he hits the ball to the left side of the infield, he'll hit 300. End of story. They can't throw him out all the time. And he'll get some balls through there. But he, he just doesn't have the physical capability to be able to, to pull a major league fastball, which takes about a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. It takes about 900 pounds of torque to turn that ball around with your bat. If, if, you, if you can't generate enough power, 900 pounds of power with your bat, the bat, the ball will push the bat back. It'll basically knock it out of your hands. And so if you see guys foul the ball off or you they're going the other way, hitting it foul, it's because they can't pull the trigger. And, and there's nothing about Billy Hamilton that indicates to me he's ever going to be able to do that. But there are guys, you remember Matty Alou from the, from the Giants and the Pirates? Yes. I mean, he was a guy who wasn't any bigger than Billy Hamilton, but he learned bat control, and he used the heaviest bat in baseball. He just laid the bat on the ball. And Billy Hamilton goes up there, and he swings hard every time. He drops his, his back shoulder, which makes the, the bat get under the ball, and he, fly, he hits a lot of fly balls, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. So it's, it's kind of silly that uh, the Reds can't figure out what to do with that talent, but he, he, I don't see him being the starting center fielder for the Reds much longer. He needs a manager, Mark, like Lou Brown of the Cleveland Indians in the movie Major League to let him know that every time he pops the ball up in the outfield, you're going to drop and give me 20. 
I don't think Billy Hamilton could do 20 push-ups. <laughs> <clears throat> you, you never know, Mark. So what do the Reds got coming up this week? Uh, the Reds have, they finish with the Rockies, and I believe they go to Milwaukee after that. Well, they go to the the Cubs actually come oh, to right. town. The Cubs come into town, that's right. And that's For a four-game set. That, yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be, if the Reds don't win these next two games against Milwaukee, uh, they could have a really tough April. You know, Mark, before we leave, i got to bring up one other thing. On tonight's Reds broadcast, they showed that left field social media uh, area that they've got. For $15, you can go in and you can watch the game on big screen. It's over the left field stands. It's all the way at the top of Great American Ballpark. That looks pretty interesting. It looks like a neat little area that they've got there. It does, but and I saw it on TV as well. They had, they had a tour of that on TV a couple of weeks ago. But why are you going to an outdoor baseball game to sit in <laughs> and, and be on social media and watch it on TV? That you know, makes no sense to me. That's what the Cubs should have done with the apartment complex across the street instead of alienating all those guys by building the, the scoreboard in front of them so they couldn't get there anymore and watch the game. Build something like that on top of that apartment complex and charge money to get in. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs aren't hurting for money, so I, I, they probably didn't care about that. But uh, I, I can't wait to get to Wrigley Field. I'd like to go to Chicago this year and, and see the new Wrigley Field. I hear so much about it. I did see the inside of the locker room. It looks like something out of uh, Star Wars. It looks pretty cool. Oh, boy. Well, there we go. The Indians this week, as I said, they were off tonight. They've got Seattle coming to town for tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. And then they're going... Up north to face the Tigers. They'll be in Detroit Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, we'll talk to you again next Monday night. Have a good week. Same to you, David. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Hey, we've got more high school baseball for you coming up tomorrow as Wayne Doe will be taking on Chippewa. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at about 4.45, but start tuning in at about 4.30 because they started the game early today. Uh, and then the game time is supposed to be at 5 o'clock, but as I said, it could be a little bit earlier. And then Mark and I will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to Mark, also our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, have a good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Lazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially with.